Hello, hello. This is the Getcha Some Productions podcast, episode 59. We are a podcast covering all things related to music production from the very first note to the very last fan and every darn thing in between. Um, usually our episodes are a live business meeting between me and my partner Dan, but we have an ongoing series called Book Club with a longtime friend and uh, uh, co-conspirator, uh, Justin Wirtz. This episode is the first episode uh, of a two-part series. Well, actually, I, I shouldn't say that. This episode is part one of a conversation uh, because the conversation was so darned long. I split it in two. Uh, but this episode is just covering a segment of a book we've been reading for a long time. Uh, we are working our way through it. Called Unlocking Creativity by Michael Beinhorn. Uh, so we are reading this book chapter by chapter. And as a matter of fact, right now we're up to chapter 5. And we're actually going... Chapter 5 is a bit of a beast. It's um, 50 pages long or so. I, something like that. So we're taking it 10, 10 pages at a time right now. And, uh, and so this is just a segment of chapter 10. A conversation... I'm sorry. Pfft, this is just a segment of chapter 5 that Justin and I are discussing. Uh, and this is, and, and our conversation went long, so I actually split the conversation in two. So, uh, this is, um, so this is our sort of book club. We read the book, we pick out certain spots that we want to talk about, little blurbs and passages that, we, we, that are of interest, and then we discuss them and just try to, to glean some additional insight. Uh, we, I did sort of an intro already uh, as part of the episode, so you'll hear some of this again. But um, please, uh, if you want to support the show, obviously, like and subscribe, rating, review, all that junk. Um, share with your friends. If you uh, want to support the show monetarily, you can buy this book, actually, f- through our affiliate link uh, in the description. You can also support the show by visiting our Reverb.com affiliation. So you can go on Reverb, buy yourself some... Uh, it's very. I'm recording this on a very, very windy day, walking around my neighborhood. <clears throat> so you're probably hearing some wind. Um, if you want to buy some musical equipment, you can use our affiliate link, uh, link in the description. And uh, they'll pay us a small commission. And if you're not, if you don't already have a Reverb account, uh, you can go through our link and sign up, and they will even pay us a small commission for that. None of this is an additional cost to you at all. And that's it. Enough of my jabbering. On with the show. J-Dubs, what's up? What's up? Oh, you got your guitar on you? Yeah. I, um, I'm in the music room, so I picked it up. It was on the floor. Oh, nice. I, um, I'm sitting here while I was waiting for you to get on. I'm, I'm sitting here uh, browsing through Squire bullet tellies. Mm. 
there is i you know i'm still loving the i i actually really i don't own a um a um i don't own a um uh of sunburst guitar mm-hmm. and i haven't really been a fan of sunburst guitars uh in general except for telecasters i feel like if you own a strat actually i shouldn't say that I actually like Sunburst basses in some cases. And I like Sunburst Les Pauls. I don't like Sunburst Strats. Um, I feel like they're just like a cliche thing to own. Uh, I mm. guess inherently they are. Um, but I do like Sunburst Tellies for some reason, which is sort of like also what it's just as, you know, it's just as common. Um, yeah. I think it all depends on what shoes you're going to wear with it. <laughs> Somebody on Facebook friends with is um, a vibraphonist or uh, something, a, vi- a xylophonist, vibraphonist, uh-huh. um, a mallet player. And I'm not really friends with her. I just, I mean, I'm, I'm Facebook friends with her, so I don't, I don't really know her. I just happen to be Facebook friends with a bunch of musicians. Uh-huh. And um, she posted a picture of her wearing a blue dress and her mallet covers were blue. Yeah. And I was like, and I po- and I responded, "Do you always match your mallets to your dress?" And she goes, "When I can." <laughs> yeah, of course. Like, and then it got me thinking, why don't we match our our straps, our guitar straps, to our outfits more often? Uh, I mean, I try to every chance I get. Is that true? Yeah, I mean, or at least you know, you get a strap that you know you got there. Just like when you're picking out your clothes, there's that work better with your skin tones. And so wouldn't you pick a strap that goes along with all those kind of guidelines too? Absolutely, I suppose you would. Well, but yeah, the sunburst is a little cookie cutter looking, you know. Yeah, I I browsed through Reverb for a while. Mm. Um, and by the way, uh, we are affiliates of reverb so if you want to shop at reverb and you want and you want to help the channel out i'll include a link in the description but that's not our purpose today um but i was browsing reverb and i will say that some of the it i well i agree with you that yeah sunburst is kind of like everybody loves sunburst but it's gotten a little bit you know uh, i guess overdone um but it depends on which kind of sunburst and I'm not talking about like the um, the classic like 50s Les Paul type sunburst that's more orange. Um, I'm actually much more of a fan of what is typically referred to is as a tobacco burst mm-hmm. or a very dark, a much darker um, stain in the exposed wood rather than the orange. Um, but yeah, man, I'm I'm I saw oh actually, but I saw uh, there's a limited edition color, um, Lake Placid Blue. Mm-hmm. And there's one Lake Placid Blue Telly Squire Bullet Telly for one ninety nine for sale right now. No kidding. Um, there's like a million Sunburst ones. Uh, hmm. But if you what's scroll the through, on, what's the shipping on that one? That's I think 199. 20, 20 bucks. I might have to get it. Yeah, I don't. They don't come up often because they they're they were a limited edition color. So if you're paying like one eighty for a regular one, you're paying two hundred for the limited edition color one. Yeah, that's cool. So, Retail and re- better resale value. And I mean, yeah. send me the link. I want to see this. This, uh, you know this what? blue. And then also, uh, something that it leads me to um, think about is 
Um, you know, it's just, it's basically they dip those guitars. Yes. No, I've idea. seen, I think they just like, kind of like somehow dip them in, in like an oil paint thing. You know, is that how they make those? <clears throat> this is a Squire and this is the cheapest of the Squires, the bullet. Yeah. So I, I have to assume that whatever it is they do is friggin' the dirt cheapest thing they right. could possibly do. So, I mean, the thing is that facility is already built to, you know, finish all the guitars the same way. They probably all finish the same way. And I don't think there's anything wrong with a dip. My point is, um, it, underneath is just wood, correct? Right. So technically you could sand the finish off yes. and just bring it down to raw wood and then fucking just like oil it or like i don't know what they actually seal the guitars with yeah I mean, all i know is like i have a, a 70s p bass yeah and most of the finish is all worn off and it looks pretty cool you know the wear or even the sunburst like i don't know i wonder if you just grit it up with some sandpaper like what it starts to look like because that would change my mind about you know then the sunburst would just look more like natural wood you know the the interesting thing about the sunburst is that um you if you look at the pictures almost every listing is a stock photo they use the stock photos of the sunburst mm -hmm. but when you actually scroll around and you see different um striations actual yeah like actual pictures when when a list when a when a seller lists an actual guitar that is like you know uh like the actual they, they take pictures of the actual one they're selling the the quality of each one is actually very different yeah and they and there are some that look really beautiful and there are some like you say like it's the, the it's made in a factory and and since squire is the cheapest one it's like the, instead of it looking like a sunburst, it looks like it just has very, very dark edges. And there's the, the blend is like, there's almost no blend. And that's like the beauty of the sunburst is that there's like a very, there should be like a, a relatively gradual blend. Um, and, and some of them look, so the ones that have, that don't have that look cheaper, but Got I it. did notice. So I would, so the ones that are for people, like there are a lot of big, like, you know, stores, just regular old stores that list on Reverb. And they, they use the stock photos. And if you order from them, you might, whatever you get is, may not look like, you know, the one in the picture. Um, but if you go, and, and, and most of them have free shipping. But if you keep scrolling and you find one where, there's, where they have a picture of the actual guitar and you like that, typically you're going to pay some more in shipping because this is like an individual selling rather than the actual store. Mm. Of course, you know, the actual buying from the actual store gets you from, gets you like, uh, you know, a warranty potentially or something, but you know, I mean, that's, I guess for a, for a guitar that only costs 200 bucks, it's like, <laughs> what do you want? You know, in a sense. Yeah. And you know, it's funny. Also something I think about is you talk about the price and even the guitars that they charge a lot of money for, what really is their cost on those guitars? Yeah, I know. You know, like, it's like, oh, it's, you, you think the Squire is the bottom of the barrel, but what is so much better about the really expensive ones? The, the Squires nowadays, this is why I've been coveting the Squire. The biggest difference is the hardware. 
And listening to the demos, the pickups sound fine. The other huge issue is um, the tuning, uh, the hardware quality. And so far, the, everyone says that the tuners, which is the next biggest thing that's an issue on these guitars, is the tuners are not bad. Um, some of them are in need of a little bit of fret dressing. So, you know, you, you pay a 200 bucks for a guitar and you should, and then you end up having to go and have the frets dressed, which is, you know, like, uh, an hour of labor from a technician and mm -hmm. it's, and it's money out of your pocket. You know, it might be 50 bucks for a nice fret dressing or, or a nice setup with some fret dressing or 60 bucks fret dressing is man. They just go and they find like any little spots and then they just deal with those. It's not like a full fret job or anything. It's not so a they full. they just flatten it? They just, yeah, they just, you know, they I just find really that one. I believe that that's an issue because I think you just start playing the thing. You're going to wear the, the frets are going to start to wear differently anyway. Why do you have to bring them to someone to get them perfectly flat? Well, if you have a buzz in a spot, you know, where, where you play that note a lot. Mm-hmm then, you know, it could be an issue for you. Yeah, I guess you know, until it was true. Right. And that's the issue. Yeah. You, I mean, some some reviewers said that the, the, um, at least I found one reviewer who said out of the box, it had it had a buzz that required that was so bad that it required a fret dressing, which meant that you're paying $200 and you should have just sprung for the $300 guitar to save yourself, you know, the trip to the store and the extra like week of like dropping it off and picking it up and everything. Yeah. So, you know, gotcha. so whatever. I mean, but that was one guy out of like five reviews. I've, I've watched a whole bunch of reviews at this point. I've convinced myself that it's going to, my next guitar is going to be one of these guitars. Oh, um, dude, I like this blue one that you sent me. Yeah, it's beautiful. The blue got like a lake... sparkle to it though, right? Yes, a slight mm -hmm. sparkle. Lake Placid kinda... Blue is awesome color. Bill. Wait, you cut out for a second. It's like a Nashville, Vegas vibe. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, but it's Lake Placid, so Lake Placid is north. <laughs> okay. That's the name of the I don't color. know why they Lake... call it a Lake Placid one. I mean, it's I definitely like they're... a flashy-looking guitar. My, they have a newer one that's a little darker, the blue. It's called Opal Spark, which I mm -hmm. love. But Lake Placid blue is a great color, too. Mm. So... Well, should we start podcasting or what? Yeah, we should. Let me let me do the intro. Okay. Uh, this is the Getcha Some Productions podcast. I believe this is episode fifty-seven. Um, we are a podcast covering all things related to music production, from the first note to the last fan, and everything in between. We create music, and we seek to inspire others to do the same. So, instead of listening to this podcast, feel free to just shut it off and go play music instead. And you can always come back to it. We'll be here. Um, uh, but that's the whole point of this. We, we hope to inspire others to do, um, to create uh, some music. And uh, oftentimes whatever we're doing on this podcast is just discussing things um, uh, music related and figuring it out in real time in front of you. So we're just kind of having like a conversation here. My name is Keith, and today my guest is... Uh, it's me. It's Justin Wirtz. What up, dude? You know, just um, 
enjoying this snowstorm. Yeah. We're, we're both, are you snowed in? I'm snowed in, man. I'm not. Well, I mean, I'm not exactly snowed in. I wouldn't say that. (laughs) I don't plan to go outside anytime soon for any reason. Yeah. I'm exaggerating. Um, I, um, this episode is, uh, what Justin and I often do is something we call book club. We're reading this book called unlocking creativity by Michael Beinhorn. And we essentially have a book club right before, uh, right in front of you. So we, we've both read the book to a certain extent and, um, I have some parts underlined and we just kind of go through the book and, um, we sort of just discuss it and see if we can glean some greater insight or if we can learn something, uh, about it, um, by discussing it or learn something from each other or just discuss our reactions to it, stuff like that. Um, we are, we, we will include an affiliate link. If you're interested in what the book is covering, uh, we will include an affiliate link in the description so that you can help the channel. You can buy the book, you can read it along with us and you can help the channel out if you wish to do so. Um, before we get started, I always uh, give Justin an opportunity to plug uh, his, um, his businesses out, his, well, including music, but he has a couple outside of music. So you want to do that, uh, Justin? Um, yeah, uh, I, I got an apothecary company called Dirty Dude Apothecary. Uh, you can check it out on dirtydudeapothecary.com. Uh, and there is another company I have that is a, a beard oil company. It's called Wurtz All Natural. That's Wurtz, W-E-R-T-Z. And you can check that out at wurtznatural.com. And, um, and that's it. And I, I guess as far as music goes right now, if you want to check out anything that I've done, I just uh, did a little project a while back on, uh, I have it up on Bandcamp. It's called... Uh, Blank Baby is the artist, and the name of the album, Keith, you want to help me out? Is it 31? I'm pretty sure it's something like that, Brooklyn Summers. Some some number, Brooklyn Summers, 31 Brooklyn Summers, because I just did it during the summer of my 31st birthday, I guess. Uh, Yeah, I think that's it, right, Keith? I think so. Yeah, and and as we always do, I'll include links so you don't have to remember the URLs. You just go into the description if you want to check out um justin's stuff you can just go right into the description and there'll be links to click um and uh this is also i wanted to follow up with you with one thing i know we 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 saw each other a few weeks ago and i said i was going to do a recording of one of my new songs Mm -hmm. i didn't do a voice memo Mm -hmm. but i did do a bunch of video recordings which are going to come out on oliver's musical genius Mm -hmm. however I own, I release a video a day on Oliver's Musical Genius and I have videos created all the way up through like mid-February. So I think my, I, I did like four videos of this new song, The Prolific. And I think they're scheduled to come out sometime in like later February or maybe even early March. Um, the videos that I made uh, that were, that I made to fulfill the the promise that I that you okay. were holding you me to. You want to send me one of the videos when you get a chance? I can't. I already de- I loaded them on YouTube and then I deleted them, oh, but they're scheduled wow. for release. I'll keep I'm my a, eye out. I'm a jerk like that. <laughs> I, what, I, what I'm going to do is just like, I get, I go through this period where I rewatch all the videos I've made 
And when I come across those, I will, um, I will remember and forward to you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Forward you the link. So um, let's dive into this book. So we're reading this book, Unlocking Creativity, by Michael Boyne, my Boyne, Michael Beinhorn. Um, we're up to page, chapter five, and we're actually up to page, chapter five is very long. So we're doing it 10 pages at a time. And we're starting, we're, this particular episode, we're up to page 59. And the title of the section that we're going to do is Artists Are People Too. And the first, and I, and what we usually do is we, we, uh, I have a bunch of quotes that I've underlined. I don't know if you do too, just, just holler. But usually I have quotes that I've underlined and I read them and then we discuss them. So I, my first quote that I have underlined is on page 60. Uh, it's towards the bottom of the page and I'll read it. It says, although this doesn't require open discussion, you're attempting to help the artist achieve breakthroughs so he can develop creatively. One way of encouraging this is by helping the artist become open and vulnerable with you. You can make him feel at ease by being relaxed, casual, and appropriately vulnerable simply by being yourself. So what really got me about this is that helping the artist to be encouraging an artist and helping them become vulnerable with you by being relaxed and casual and also being vulnerable. And this occurred to me like as something that you really have to keep in mind to keep the, it's like artists can be very sensitive, I guess. And at least that's my perception. Mm-hmm. And you might not even realize like the way you say something, or if you don't have a good working relationship with someone, especially if you're a producer and you're just starting to work with an artist, and they don't know you that well. It could be, it, it's, it's, it, it bears like saying that you have to be relatively careful about saying anything that can, you know, squelch uh, the, the artist's like creative flow, I guess. Yeah. Maybe it even goes for, you know, when, when two people like you and I write songs together sometimes and I don't. I'm not overly sensitive. We've known each other for a long time. So I guess it's a much different situation. I'm not overly sensitive about, you know, um, like any comments that you would make about my music, but I guess like that's the only analogy that I really have, except that, you know, when you work in a band setting and somebody's playing a part Mm. and you just say like, dude, don't play that, man what the hell are you doing? You know, it's like, (laughs) so you can really, I don't know. You can just, you can change the whole tone of the whole thing and really like stomp on the creative process. And some, so I just thought it it bared reading it, I guess. Um, I mean, I just think basically what he's saying is, uh, you know, you have to see, you have to just be like yourself, totally normal. You know, you don't want to uh, like let on that you're there to change anything or force anything. You're just there to be a part of it, you know? And like, I think the only way to really do that is to make sure that you're being uh, just a human, like when he says like vulnerable and you want to make sure that 
you know, you're open so that, uh, you know, they can develop, I guess, even more than more important than trust, just a, a comfort level, mm-hmm. you know, so they can bring out whatever, uh, you know, whatever needs to come out. Yeah, I, I think it is like a, um, there is a, a both comfort level and trust aspect to, to it, for sure. You want to develop that, that connection that, uh, you know, just like sometimes you meet someone and, and right off the bat, you just like, this person's cool. They're like my people. I'm going to make sure that I keep in touch with them. I'm gonna, you know, you want, to, you want to form the connection. Mm-hmm. Totally. It's a good way to be, what he says. So the, um, yeah, I agree with that. Um, I think um, the next quote that I have underlined is on page 62. Mm-hmm. And this one goes, uh, through your own consistent behavior, you can also encourage the artist to develop patience. Give him enough space to feel his own power then take a step back and objectively observe his behavior, his humanity, and his flaws. You can do this by simply finding the neutral, calm space in yourself when the artist becomes reactive in a stressful situation. And by not reacting to or participating in his behavior, offer him insight through your consistent example. This is a a long quote, I guess. Mm. In this way, he can experience how patience looks in action and gradually generate it on his own. The virtues of patience can also be discussed openly with the artist and reinforced through such disciplines as meditation. Um, I, I have something, but, but does that jump out? Does anything about that jump out at you at all? Uh, a lot of this chapter or a lot of the times when this guy talks about how to handle people and how to handle personalities and handle behavior um to me i think all the advice is good and i mean i think it's great advice because these are it's really something you got to develop because you know i've been a teacher for a very long time and you know i've had to deal with all sorts of age groups uh, particularly young kids and this is how you need to be with mm. these with the, with those age groups and i i think uh, that goes the same as like when you're dealing with someone in uh, your personal relationship, your your girlfriend, your wife, or your partner, whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, you know, I guess the, the, the I guess the biggest skill that he's trying to explain would be like keeping yourself, like finding that place mm-hmm. where you know that you're grounded, confident, and neutral, and uh, and uh, still like open and objective to the whatever the uh, crisis is about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, um, I agree with that. I think, and I think the, anal- uh, the analogy, I guess, where, where you say as a teacher, um, you've had to learn this skill uh, or I, I guess you, you learned it by virtue of the fact that you are a teacher. So you, you're in that situation all the time. And yeah. so you just learned it. Um, what, really jumped out and so of course it's an important skill that you know when you're dealing with um when you're dealing with creative uh people 
and you're in a creative setting where everyone is trying to work towards a goal of creating, um, maintaining that calm um, is something that, you know, someone has to do it. Um, someone has to be lead by example and just remain calm in all situations. And I don't know, like what it made me think of is when he said that um, you have to give the artist space to feel his own power and objectively observe the behavior and all this stuff. And then um, it, it made me think of like uh, being calm in like a stressful situation. Cause when you're in a music production situation, um, very more often than not, really, you're dealing with a, you're in a deadline situation. Um, you're either paying for, you're paying for space in some ways, or you're using some, or you're using someone's time, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And you're and you're also using each other's time. You're both working towards the same goal, but you know there's there's the time aspect. So it's a really hard thing to do, I think, when you're when you're in a stressful situation. Um, to, to, uh, to, I guess, just remain calm to keep your cool. Um, but he says it's the producer. This is, this book is really geared toward producers, um, in working with artists and it's the producer who really is responsible for, uh, who must always remain cool and calm in in every situation so like the coach has got to keep his cool too you know right right so so yeah and actually as a producer you are like you're you're not you're a facilitator you are a teacher in some ways you are a coach in some ways so it's like all these you know all these terms that you keep bringing up are like even though the person's the role is producer you have all these like sub category of roles Mm. that you actually fulfill um, throughout the course of a recording. Uh, the next quote I have underlined is on page 63. Um, it's towards the bottom. Just as the artist must demonstrate to you that he is deserving of your attention, it is also reasonable that you do likewise for the artist. In order to prove to the artist that you deserve his trust and confidence, you must show him results. In my experience, it often takes three demonstrations of your ability as a producer to do this. So um, do you have anything that jumps out at you about this particular quote? Um, not no. really, except that, you know, it's interesting. I, I kept reading because I don't actually re- recall this part. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Um, so it is interesting. Yeah. Three. I mean, that's cool. This is what I love about how sometimes he just really uh, let's add a gem about his systems. Right. Because if you already know that you need to uh, win this person, you basically need to win this person over three times. Right. So uh, I guess it's good to have in mind because you never know when one of those times is like going to rear. You never know when the opportunity will rear itself. Yeah. And um, I guess as, as the produ- if you're the producer... Uh, it's just good to know that it's three because I guess you want to get one in the pocket pretty pretty soon, like pretty up front. Right. And then, um, you know, but I guess it's just a good way to, to help you keep time of everything. 
Does that make sense? You want to make sure that you don't, yeah. if, if you just, if you just used one of the tickets, you don't have to be in a rush to use the other one too soon, you know, so you can like relax a little bit and really wait for the opportunity to come. That's or, interesting. I guess it's, I guess it's also interesting in a way, because that means you have to be conscious of how many you have to be keeping score, you know? Right. Yeah. I, I think that you're, I think that you're right in that. Um, uh, it's sort of like he, I did find it really interesting also that he said three, specifically three, like usually it takes three instances of demonstrating your like production ability in some respects. Mm-hmm. Um, this, it takes three instances for you to gain your, the artist's trust. Um, so, uh, I guess I'll reflect a little bit on the, the overall book, the, the overall delivery of the message in this book up until this chapter actually hasn't been sort of concrete advice, but rather so many of his chapters are just lists and lists of questions that you would ask of yourself or you would ask of the artist, whether you're explicitly asking them the question or whether you're using the question as a jumping off point in in terms of reflecting about the situation. So the book is very philosophical in general, but I found it really interesting that he gave such a concrete example of this particular uh, like item, the fact that you have to win the artist's trust and the fact that it takes these three like potential events to really win the artist over. Um, but it doesn't mean that you have to like your, the three items don't have to be like suggesting like, um, they don't have to be concrete musical items like suggesting, you know, moving the bridge or, you know, changing the key of the chorus or something like that. They have to be, they can, in my mind, and, and he does give some examples, but in my mind, it could be from the very get-go, just the way you set the tone with the artist could be like your first win, right? Hmm. Like mm-hmm. the way, yeah, like the way you, the way you open the relationship and, and the way you make the, the artist feel at ease from the get-go, mm-hmm. that can be your first and early win. Even though later on in the relationship, you can have another win that could be diffusing a band conflict or, or suggesting um, you know, a song key change or actually, j- let's just think... And, you know, just not even just to make this more concrete. Now, you and I have worked together for a long time, but you did that for me the other day. I was playing the prolific in the key of E. And you were just like, it's got to be in another key. Mm -hmm. And we went through a bunch of keys and we got to the key of B. And it was like a game changer. Yeah. You know? So that was very interesting. But, you know, that sort of, that type of thing does build trust. Does it not? I mean, yes. I can tell you from my perspective, it absolutely does. Yeah, I agree. So I don't know, just really interesting. Want to move on? Yeah. Um, page 65 in the middle. I basically have the whole, like the bottom half of this page pretty much mm-hmm. like outlined and circled and underlined and everything. 
Um, one thing I have underlined is just this, this famous quote. The William, I guess it's William Faulkner's quote. Mm-hmm. In writing, you must kill all your darlings. So you have these, you have these, um, you know, whether it's like a chord progression or whether it was like in my instance, like maybe it was being in the key of E, you know, and having that big E chord to fall back on, or I don't know, like, Mm -hmm. or having a particular line in a song that you love, but it's like, you have to be able to edit yourself somewhat mercilessly in a way. And it's very, this is one of the most challenging things that I, in my mind of being an artist um, is to like sometimes have to, you have to just like torch your old ideas um, that are, even if they're good, but they're not great so that you can get to the great thing. I don't know. It's like, to me, I, you know, I don't know. I've heard this quote before in writing, you must kill, kill all your darlings. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you, man. Um, it's yeah, it's true. You know, all those, all the little ticks that you, uh, are almost innate. You have to, uh, you know, I guess when you get to, there's a certain point where you have to be, open to reevaluate all that stuff because you can't let the gears stay fixed you know you have mm-hmm. to you know they have to be able to you know turn. you know yeah it relates back to something we discussed in the last episode that we did regarding this book where it was like the artist is the beacon and the artist is always like um i took this quote to mean like if you're writing a song and you're, you have a line that you wrote that you may feel attached to, but isn't great. You have to, you have to um, like have the courage to like cross that line off and move on and, tr- and put something else in its place, even though it like came from you, you know? So it's kind of like, it is kind of like your baby in a way, but you have to be able to like exit out yeah. in some way. And it's kind of funny, I guess, like you can almost think of it and do an exercise, like all the things that you've ever been complimented on. Hey, you do this really well. Hey, I enjoyed the the set. You do this really well. What if all of a sudden, like you had to change every single one of those things? Mm -hmm. You know, it was like an exercise. Just like, just try to change every one of those things. I mean, you, you, you might really uh most i would bet my money that you'd find some you know you'd make you'd make some changes you'd at least make some adjustments and uh i would think you'd be pretty happy with it Mm -hmm. yeah and and i think that you know it's it does so um like further to your point it is really uh also not just about like this like the um the micro of um like editing a specific work but it also has to do with the macro of pushing forward and leaving behind the tendencies that you like always innovating always changing you know always moving forward yeah um like i always do 
I'm going to call the time. It's 35, 36 minutes. Okay. Um, so I try to keep them to 30 something minutes. Um, but you know, I have a lot more stuff underlined in this chapter. Hmm. So do you want to, do you want to just do half a chapter? You want to keep going? Uh, Yo, yo, yo. So there you have it. That was uh, the first part of mine and Justin's conversation regarding this segment of the book, Michael Beinhorn, uh, Michael Beinhorn's book, Unlocking Creativity. It's a book for music producers, but it's great for all musicians. It's, um, it's an excellent reference for pretty much managing any sort of artistic, creative, cooperative environment. Uh, once again, like and, please like and subscribe. Please leave a rating and review. If you uh, want to support the show, you can do those things. If you want to support the show monetarily, through no additional cost to you, you can simply use uh, number one our reverb. I'm sorry, our our affiliate link to buy the book uh, that we're reading, Michael Beinhorn, Unlocking Creativity. Uh, the link is in the description. If you buy the book through that link, we get a small commission. Uh, no additional cost to you. Additionally, you can support the show monetarily. Once again, through no additional cost to you, you can um, you can uh, shop on Reverb through our link in the description, our Reverb.com link, for any type of musical equipment you might need. Uh, whether it be a new guitar or even just guitar strings or a cable or, you know, an, an amplifier, a keyboard amp or whatever. Um, anything that they have on Reverb, if you buy it through that link, it supports the show and it's, uh, and it uh, costs you nothing except for having to remember to go through our link. Once again, thank you so much for listening and we will talk to you. And stay, I guess stay tuned for part two of the conversation next week. Thanks. Bye.